Hi, I'm Pastor Brady, and welcome to the Five Forks Student Ministries Podcast. Today, we begin on a new journey, a journey through the book of James. It is in this book that we see James really challenging us, you know, having us roll up our sleeves, getting our hands dirty whenever it comes to following Jesus and living out our faith. As we do that, we'll tackle one chapter each week for a total of five weeks for all five chapters. Today, we begin with chapter one. All right. Well, hey, it is good to have you all this evening. I gotta say, it's been it's been a few weeks since we've had a normal Sunday evening like this. We had the movie night uh, two weeks ago, then we had small group weekend last week, and so we kind of had a few weeks off from normal Sunday night. So it's good to finally be back. I always just enjoy getting back to this after a few weeks away. So it's good to be back. And tonight we are actually starting a new five week lesson series that we're going to be going through throughout February. And March. But uh, before we really get into that, I have a little game that we're going to play called Finders Keepers. And I actually have my two volunteers already set to go. Nate and Andrew, I need you to make your way up here. I don't know if Andrew realized he was signed up for this, but you were volunteered for this. But we got a little game of Finders Keepers happening. And here's what's going to happen. You see, In these containers full of dirt, there are five quarters, and you need to find those five quarters faster than your opponent. Now, there is a few rules. One, you cannot just scoop the dirt out everywhere, otherwise Mary, who cleans, will destroy you. So do not do that. And you just flip it upside down. No, because then it will go everywhere, and Mary will destroy you. You always said scoop it. If the, most of the dirt is not in here, you will meet a swift end. Great. So there's five quarters in there. The first person to find all five of their quarters will win. You got it? Makes sense? All right. I, was gonna, I would say roll up your sleeves, but you have short sleeves, so yeah. you came prepared. No, you cannot sabotage. Three, two, one, go. One game of finders keepers later. But the reason that I wanted to to play that little game of Finders Keepers is because it kind of has to do a little bit with this new series that we are about to begin, where we are going to be going through the book of James. We're going to be going through the book of James starting tonight, a five-week lesson series. And if there's anything you should know about the book of James, it is all about challenging us to roll up our sleeves and get our hands dirty. That's kind of what the book of James is all about. And it's not, you know, literally telling us to do that. But what it's all about is that whenever it comes to our faith, when it comes to following Jesus, we need to be prepared for anything. You see, we can't just expect things in our life to be handed to us on a silver platter. Sometimes we got to roll up our sleeves and we got to get our hands dirty. So yes, we are starting our series on the book of James where we're going to be going through one chapter each night. And James just so happens to be five chapters long. That's why it's going to be a five-week series. And so by the end, we're going to be covered head to toe in dirt from all that we are digging through and seeing what James challenges us to do. I do not mean that literally. We will not be covered head to toe in dirt. But as we do begin this series, there's something that I wanted to do. And uh, I'm actually going to need all of you to make your way up here. And I'm going to need each of you to grab your own copy 
of the book of James and a pen. So everyone make your way up here and do that. All right. So now that pretty much everyone, everyone has theirs. So yeah, make sure you write your name on the front. And so let me just explain kind of what the goal and purpose behind these are. My goal is throughout this series, throughout this series, I want each of you as we are going through to use this as a way of taking notes if there is something that stands out to you. As you see, if you open it up beside where like the portion of like the Bible passage is written out, on the right hand side, there's a blank page where you can take notes there. So I encourage you to use it to take notes. But I also encourage you, if there's a certain word or phrase or verse or passage or whatever that stands out to you, box it, circle it, do whatever you want. This is your copy. And I really encourage you, as we study through this over these next couple weeks, to just use this as your guidebook. And so what's going to happen is whenever uh, we break for small groups, I'm going to have you turn them back into me because I thought about it. I was just going to have you take them home and bring them back. But I know, especially looking at some of you guys, I know you would forget them. So I figured I'm going to keep them. At the end of the series, I will give them to you, and they are yours to keep forever. But at least throughout the series, I'm going to keep them here, and then next week you'll be able to grab it. And as we go through each week, you're going to have a totally full notes-written copy of the book of James. And so I just encourage you to do that as we go along. But now that everyone has their copy, we're going to get this party started. All right. So as we begin the book of James, actually, we should be referring to it as the letter from James, because it's actually a letter. And let's see if any of you can remember what you learned in elementary school. At least this is what they taught me in elementary school. But what is at the beginning of a letter? What is at the beginning of a letter? Kenzie? Dear person's name, and that would be referred to as what? MLA format, like an essay or something like that? A greeting, yes, but exactly, yeah. You would like say like, dear so-and-so, and you'd give them a proper greeting. That is exactly right. And so that is, uh, that's at least what I learned whenever you, like, you write a letter in elementary school. They always say you start off with a greeting. And so this is how James began his letter. Let's read this. This is James chapter 1, verse 1. And he says, This letter is from James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am writing to the twelve tribes, Jewish believers scattered abroad. Greetings. That's how you know it's a greeting. He says greetings at the end. Now, on the surface, this might seem like a pretty basic, generic type of greeting, but there's a couple of things that we need to stop and focus on because there's some key things that James says here that will really help us understand what the rest of this book is all about, what the rest of this letter is all about. And the first thing we need to notice is, how does James address himself? How does he address himself? Gavin. Yeah, he refers to himself as a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And whenever we read that, like that should kind of make us pause, because there is a lot of weight that comes with the word slave, right? Like, especially in our culture today in 2024, there is a lot of weight that comes with the word slave. And so why do you think James chose to begin this letter using such strong wording referring to himself as a slave? 
Why do we think that? Why did he use such strong wording? Brody? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Yeah, he's like showing just how much of a follower he is. Oh, that's a bad toss. Sorry about that. But yeah, Brody, I think you're exactly right. I think this is James' way of showing like, look, I am just a lowly slave, a lowly servant compared to God himself. This is not about me. This is solely about God. This is about Jesus. And that's what he wants to keep the focus on. Now, the thing that makes this so interesting as to why James would be so adamant about referring to himself as a slave, or in other versions it may say servant, is that James is actually the brother of Jesus. Like Mary and Joseph, that's James's parents too. And so that's pretty insane, right? Like I want you to think for a moment, those of you who may have older siblings, specifically an older brother, I just want you to think for a moment, do you think you would ever refer to yourself as a slave to your older sibling or older brother? Yeah. Some of you may say yes, and I have a hard time believing that. I have an older brother myself, and I will say there is no chance that I would ever refer to myself as a slave to my brother. And so the reason why I think this also kind of stands out is, I mean, this just shows how legit Jesus must have been for his own brother to say that, right? Like, that's pretty cool. And so we see that. We see James, he begins by kind of uh, showing us who he is, telling us who he is. But then the second part of verse 1 is he acknowledges his audience. And who is the audience? Who is this letter to? Owen? The 12 tribes. And specifically, it says the 12 tribes scattered abroad. So that's who we see. And, and the question we should look at this is, Okay, who are the 12 tribes, and why are they scattered abroad? So first, who are the 12 tribes, Colin? Yes, this was like all of like the 12 sons of Jacob, exactly. This was like, and they became their own 12 tribes. So essentially, the 12 tribes refers to all of the Jews, essentially. And this is specifically referring to the, pretty much all the Christians at that time. Like all of the Christians would have been, Jews converted to Christianity, and so James is essentially writing to all the Christians in the world at this point in time, but then he says they're scattered abroad, and it makes us wonder, okay, what does he mean by scattered? And we actually find that answer in Acts chapter 8, verse 1. This might be something you make a little note of, of, oh, this refers to Acts 8, verse 1. But this is what it says in Acts 8, verse 1. It says, Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen, and Stephen was a Jewish Christian. He's actually the first Christian martyr, first Christian who died for their faith. And after that happened, a great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. That's where the church pretty much happened, was only in Jerusalem. And so all the believers, except for the apostles, they were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. And so essentially we have James writing to all the Christians, believers at that time, and life was tough for them. Like they had to flee from their homes because they didn't know if they were even going to be able to survive the next day. Like they were being hunted down. They were terrified, but they were still following Jesus. But I mean, the truth is life sucked for them. Like life was awful for them. And so the question is, what is James going to write to this group of people who have just really been going through it. Let's find that out. Verse 2, James says, Dear brothers and sisters, 
when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Huh, kind of interesting. Like the very first thing that James says in his letter after his greeting to this group of people who have just gone through an immense amount of troubles is to tell them, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Like, what? Like, James, come on, like you should, out of anyone, you should understand your audience of who you're writing to. Like, how can you say this to your Jewish brothers and sisters who have just been going through some of the worst things that anyone can suffer through? And why on earth should these be considered an opportunity for, for great joy? Let's keep reading. Moving on to verse 3. James says, for, though, for you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And so let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be mature and complete, needing nothing. In other words, what James is saying right here, he is saying that through these troubles, through these trials that you're going through, they are not just a waste of time. Because this is something that God can use in your life to help you grow, to help you mature, to help you develop your faith. And I will say, reading this today from a 2024 perspective, I mean, this is such a good reminder for us, right? I mean, because the odds are the troubles that we're facing today, they are not on the same level as the troubles of this original audience of these Christian Jews that were on the run for their life. But the fact of the matter is, is I know each and every one of you in this room, I know each of you have your own troubles that you go through each and every day. And so there's going to be times when our hands are going to get dirty. And what I believe James is saying here, there is just so much truth to them. This is just really, really important. And here's why I say that. You see, in verse 3, there's a key word that I want you to circle. It's the word testing. And the reason this word is so interesting is that it's translated from the Greek word dakimion. Try saying that with me. Dakimion. Dakimion. Now, the interesting thing about this Greek word dakimion is, yes, it translates to testing in English, but it really had nothing to do with, like, you know, going through hard times. That's not at all what the meaning of it was. And actually, dakimion in the Greek, it refers to working with precious metals, like being a silversmith. That's what it actually referred to. And so I don't know how many of you are familiar with uh, working as a silversmith. I don't think we have too many silversmiths in this room. But essentially, this word dakimion, or testing as it's translated to English, it means that you would take silver, this precious metal, and you would heat it up to extreme temperatures and you would melt it down. And so essentially what happens is you would get this liquid form of the silver, and whenever it's melted down, all of the impurities within that silver would rise to the top. And so the silversmith, they would take this scoop and they would scoop out those impurities that were on that top layer. And then whenever they got those impurities out, they would pour the rest of that silver into a mold to let it cool. And then the next day, you know what they would do? They would test it again, dakimion. Again, they would melt it down again, remove the impurities, let it cool, and they would test it over and over and over again and again and again until eventually, this is so cool, 
eventually that silver would become so pure that the silversmith would be able to look down upon this melted silver and they could actually see their reflection in it. And so the reason why I think this word is so cool and why I think this is so important for us is that I want you to think about it like this. See, these periods of testing that you go through, where it just feels like your faith is being tested, you are going through trouble and trial after trial, test after test. If you view that as God's way of purifying you, testing you, removing those impurities until one day, He is going to be able to look down upon you and see His reflection. Or you become just this reflection of God to others. I mean, in the Genesis story, where it talks about the the creation story, we're told that we're made in the image of God. And it's through these tests that we go through in life that we can work to become these true reflections of God in our world. I mean, that is awesome. If you really think about it, like, wow. Like, what an opportunity we have. And so that's why later on in verse 12, That's why James says, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. And afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. See, what James is saying here is, man, we are blessed. Those who endure, those who persevere, who make it through that time of testing, who make it through those troubles, you will be blessed. Because when you make it through that, God will bless you with that crown of life, that eternal life that he promises to those who love him. And again in verse 12, there's another phrase that kind of stands out to me. And it's that last phrase, those who love him. And the reason this, verse, uh, this part of the verse stands out to me so much is because I think of it like this. You see, when life is going good for us, it's really easy to love God in those moments. Like when things are going your way, it is easy to love God. But when things in your life just flat out suck, it is very difficult to love God in those moments. When you are going through those tests, through those trials, through those troubles, it is very hard to love God. But it's because of those very tests that we see that we can start to be made pure, that we can grow, that we can mature in our faith so that in the end, We will need nothing, as James puts it in verse 4. And so that's why in verse 2, right after that greeting, that's why James says, hey, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Because I know God will use this, these troubles and trials that you go through, God will use them as an opportunity to help you mature and become stronger in your faith. I really, truly believe that. But the thing is, is we know it's not going to be easy. Because yes, there's trials, yes, there's troubles, but there's a third T word that we need to be weary of. Anyone want to take a crack at it? That third T word that we need to watch out for? Dalton, I see your hand. Temptation? That's exactly right. Temptation, yes. So we got to watch out for trials, for troubles, and for temptation. And he says that in verse 14 and 15. He says, temptation comes from our own desires which entice us and drag us away. And these desires, they give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So we need to be on our guard. 
We need to watch out. We need to keep our focus on the mission, and we need to push away these temptations. All right. So it's at this point, we're about halfway through this first chapter here in the book of James. And we see, you know, this first part, it's all about James focusing on, hey, you know, you got to, you know, make sure you look at these trials and troubles. You got to look at it with a different perspective. You got to look at it with a more positive perspective because these can be used to help you grow in your faith, to become that reflection of God. And that's what that first half is all about. But then the second half, we see it's now about James starting to shift. He has a little shift in what he's talking about because he shifts to talking about how do we go about doing this? How do we go about, you know, living this out in this positive way? We see James shifting to this call to action. And you can think of it like this. What company owns this logo? Whose, whose logo is this? Andrew? It is Nike. Yes. Tony, what is Nike's slogan? Just do it. That is exactly right. Just do it. And the interesting thing that we're going to be finding here, what a snag. The interesting thing we're going to be finding here throughout the rest of James, specifically here in the rest of this chapter, but throughout the entire book of James, is we're going to see this clear focus talking about just do it. Just do it. And the thing with Nike with this logo, the entire the slogan, the entire point of the slogan is pretty much saying, hey, you need to get off your butt and you need to practice. You need to work at your craft. You need to perfect your sport. You need to get better and better and better. You need to work at it day in and day out. Just do it. That's what their slogan is all about. And that's exactly how James is telling us to do. He's telling us, hey, you just need to just do it. And we're going to get into what exactly he means by that. And so as he starts off this section telling us to just do it, he begins with a little introduction kind of with two key verses that I think are just really, really, really important for us to hear, specifically in 2024 America. I mean, I know this was originally written for Christian Jews in the year 45 AD, but I really feel like 2,000 years later, man, this feels like it's written for us today. See, I want you to listen to this in verses 19 and 20. And I think you'll understand why I feel like this is written for us today as well. James says, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God desires. I love this. And I love that James introduces this next part with this. And here's why I say that. You see, right now in our world, it feels like so many of us are just trying to be heard. We simply want to be heard by others. That's why we try to make these extravagant and profound posts on Instagram with our captions. We try and make these extravagant TikToks or post these profound things on our Snapchat stories and on our Viscos and so on and so forth. It's why we see comment sections that are just packed full of people arguing with one another, saying why they're right and the other people are wrong. I mean, people, they're just so quick and they're desperate to feel like others have to listen to them. And yet what we see James as he begins this next section of his letter, he says, no, the first thing you need to learn to do is just stop and take a moment. Be quick to listen 
Be quick to soak in what others are telling you, what you are hearing, and then be slow to speak. Be slow to get angry. Be slow with your follow-up actions. And man, this is hard for us to do right now. Like, this is so hard for us to do because we're just so on edge right now. Like, everyone in our world just feels like we're so on edge because the world just feels so unstable sometimes. We're stressed out. We're anxious. We feel like we're just about to explode and burst at any given moment. And yet, James says, slow down. Take things in and then speak and then act. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness God desires. And so James, he starts off with this little introduction to this next section. I think this is really important. But then in verse 22, he just lays it out bluntly for what exactly he really wants us to know. In verse 22, he says this. This is one, if you're going to circle, this is the verse to circle. It says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So right here it is. Be a doer, just do it. Right here. And the thing that makes this verse so interesting is that James is writing to these Christians in the year 45 AD, around the year 45 AD. And the thing is, is those Christians, they would have specifically really known their stuff. Like they would have known you know, their, their scripture, which would have only been the Old Testament at the time. But they would have known that scripture. They could have been able to quote verses left and right. They knew everything there was to know. And so what we see James kind of telling us here is like, hey, that's good. It's really good that you know the Bible. It's good that you have this, this knowledge. But then he asks the question, what are you doing with that? What are you doing with that knowledge? You can think of it like this. Let's say, those of you in this room, you decide, you know, after you graduate high school, you decide, you know what, I'm going to become a brain surgeon. And you decide, I'm going to become a brain surgeon. Now, let's see if anyone knows this. How many extra years of schooling do you think it takes to become a brain surgeon? Allie? Yes, so it's like a minimum of 12 years, and through that process, it could even take up to 16 years. So you kind of think about it like, you know, from like kindergarten to 12th grade, that's what, 13 years of schooling? The, yeah, preschool as well, yeah. So then just imagine doing that again, essentially. And then you become a brain surgeon. Like, that is a lot. So imagine, you know, you decide, you know what, I'm going to do that. And so you go for that extra 12 years or even up to 16 years of schooling and training. And during that time, you come to learn everything there is to know about the brain. Like, you know, everything there is to know, you learn all the techniques for how to perform surgery on the brain. And then whenever that's all done, when you have all of this knowledge, you graduate, you take some time and you think to yourself, you know what? I don't think I want to become a brain surgeon. I don't think I want to do that anymore. I think I just want to instead, I just want to work at McDonald's. I don't know about that. But I want you to think, how much of a waste would all of those years spent learning to be a brain surgeon? Like, that would have just been a waste in the end, right? 
I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't think it takes 12 years or more of schooling to make a Big Mac. I mean, maybe like eight years at most. But, you know, I, I, think, I think it wouldn't take that long. And nothing against working at, at McDonald's uh, at all. But again, all of that training, all of that time you spent learning to become a brain surgeon would have been worthless. And it's this idea that we see James kind of sharing. It's this idea that, look, it is good for you to have all of this knowledge. But if you don't do anything with it, it's kind of worthless. It's worthless in the end. So what you should be doing is you need to take that time to be quick to listen, to soak in God's word. And then after that, you need to act upon it. You need to act upon it. You need to live it out. Just do it. That's what this verse is all about. But as we focus on this verse, there's one final part about it that I want to focus on before we break into small groups. And it's those last two words right there. Deceiving yourselves. Now, can someone tell me, what do you think this phrase means? What does this phrase mean? Deceiving yourselves. I'm going to look for a hand I haven't seen yet. I'm trying to see who hasn't raised their, their hand yet. Miriam? Ooh, that is right on. Tricking yourself into believing something. That is exactly right. In fact, that's like almost like the exact definition I found from our pals over at thedictionary.com. Because they said deceiving yourself is essentially you're lying to yourself. Or you're causing yourself to believe something that's simply not true. And so when I see this phrase, uh, deceiving yourself, here at the end of verse 22, it actually reminded me of a verse that we find in John chapter 8, verse 44. And in John chapter 8, verse 44, we see Jesus is speaking, and he explains how Satan is the ultimate deceiver. He says, Satan is the ultimate deceiver, and he says, all lies come from Satan. He is the ultimate deceiver. And so when I read this, this verse, verse 22, where it says, those you know, who are only hearers of the word and not doing anything with it, he says, you're deceiving yourself. And so as I thought about this verse, it made me realize something. You see, if this chapel was just packed full right now, like if, if there were just people like having to even stand in the back, just trying to, you know, be in here, you know, listening to this message, I honestly think that even if this chapel were filled right now, full of people, and then everyone walked out of this chapel later tonight, thinking that they accomplished something, when in reality, they're not doing anything with it, I guarantee you, Satan is thrilled when that happens. When he sees churches or youth groups that are full of people that will come, listen to a lesson, feel like they're accomplishing something, and then walk out not changing anything about their life, Satan is rejoicing when we do that because you're doing his job for him. You're deceiving yourself whenever you do that. And James, he gives multiple examples of just what exactly this means. Verse 23, he says, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, it's kind of like a man who intently looks at his face upon a mirror and he memorizes it for that moment. But then whenever he goes away and looks away, 
at once he forgets what he looks like. It's like someone who goes to church will listen intently to a message that they know they should be applying to their life, but then they just totally forget about it whenever they walk out the door. It's worthless at that point. It's totally meaningless. Verse 26. If anyone thinks that he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, that person's religious religion is worthless. Simply put, this is hard to hear. But if you're only listening, you're not doing anything about it, it's about as good as worthless. And it's worthless. And so that's why James, he is so adamant about us becoming doers. Just do it. Roll up your sleeves. Get your hands dirty and just do it. And I will say, as we continue throughout this book of James, we're going to get way deeper into this concept in the upcoming chapters. But for now, we're going to pause there at the end of chapter 1. And uh, I'm just going to close this in a word of prayer before you break into your small groups and talk a little bit more about this. And hopefully you talk about how you can become doers, and not just walking out of here tonight acting like nothing ever changed. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, this, this is a tough challenge for us. Man, this is so tough for us. It's tough to make changes in our life. It's tough to become doers. But Lord, that's what you call us to do. Lord, it's my prayer that we are a group of students and leaders who will be doers. We don't just want to be another group or another church that just listens to sermons and lessons, thinking that we're accomplishing things, thinking that we're these oh-so-great followers of you, when in reality, we're not doing anything with it. Lord, let us do something with this. Let us live it out passionately. Just I pray that each person in this room will just feel that tonight, feel that conviction to know what it is you call us to do and be and make that change in our life. Lord, I pray that each of us here can truly, truly understand that and live it out. Let us be doers, Lord. And we lift it all up to you. We do this for you, Lord, not for ourselves. We do it for you to bring you all the honor and all the glory. We love you, Lord. Pray this in your great son's name. Can I get an amen? amen? Amen to that. Thanks for listening to tonight's lesson. As always, you can go back and listen to any previous lessons that you might have missed. Also, if you want to stay up to date with what is happening in the Five Forks Student Ministries, we encourage you to follow us on Facebook and Instagram, where you can find us under Five Forks Students. Or... You can check out our website, ffbic.org/students.